I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I would like to begin by acknowledging and paying respects to the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we stand today. I would like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Hi there. My name is Jane. My name is Kurt. And this is Major Look, a podcast where we make each other watch episodes of our favourite TV shows and then try and work out why we love the things that we love. Yes. Uh, and this season is all about children's shows. Have we ever actually talked about the title of our season? Uh, no, we haven't because it didn't exist <laughs> in like the timeline of our recordings <laughs> until last week. Yes. Um, so the season is called Rose Coloured Glasses, mm-hmm. which is basically because we're looking on these things with a lot of nostalgia. So much nostalgia, I'm realising as we're doing this. Yeah, so it's kind of like having to take off your rose or, you know, try and watch it again through your rose coloured glasses. Mm, seeing if you can retrieve that kind of experience. Yeah, the childhood innocence. Uh, That's 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 kind of an unreachable goal, isn't it? Uh, yeah, look. Maybe for 26 minutes. Yeah, mm, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's why that's why it's called Rose Coloured Glasses. Apologies that it took us five episodes to explain that. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I will have to say, I think I'm skipping the gun a little bit here because I want to talk about something else about what has been in my eye this week. Uh, sorry. You're breaking the system. <laughs> but because I wanted to do a bit of self-correction... Of uh, a previous uh, suggestion you made in our Yu-Gi-Oh! episode. Okay. You were like, is this just teaching how to play the game? Since then, I'd started watching a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! And, like, starting to play the game app on my phone. And I had to, like, delete all the other apps because my phone was so shitty. It couldn't actually handle it. Classic. But, um... It's really helpful to teach you how to learn the game. I think that might have been... I told you. That was totally part of the point. I think maybe that wasn't where it was originally because the manga came first. It was a comic book series first. It was not created to sell the card games. Then the card games and the anime came around concurrently. Um, But, yeah, it does seem like the show took a lot of its, like, creative direction to just telling you and showing you how to play the bloody card game. Um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty bang on the money there, Jane. Great. Even though uh, the series is is still bad, it's not good. I've no. been watching so much of it lately. It's definitely not good. Because I can just, like, play the Yu-Gi-Oh game and then the card will pop up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I've just got that card. What, it does what? Oh, yeah, cool. I'll activate that trap card next. And I'm totally into it as a completely different experience and not at all as, like, legible television to watch on its own. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I knew I knew that that was definitely just part of the logic behind it. It did seem like, very silly, didn't it? When yeah. I took off my rose-coloured glasses after that episode, I think, and really gave it a good hard look. And, and when you like, say you took them off, you mean I slapped your face and they fell off? <laughs> yes. And then I was like, no, I'm going to watch it. It was fun. I remember them being fun. And then for the first couple of episodes, I was like, wow, Jane is so right. And then I was like, nah, <laughs> screw it. I'm going to live in this rose-coloured world. I'm fine. Where do I install the latest update? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fair enough. Look, we we all have our things that yes. we love from our childhood. And so. I believe that's probably the first official counter of Jane being right for this year. Uh, I mean, maybe in in my conversations with you. <laughs> it, well, on live on podcast, I was yes, referring to. Yes, yes live yes, on podcast. Yes, when it can be counted. Anyway, so that's enough of that. Yes. Uh, can you tell me what you made me watch this week? This week, oh, I'm so excited, made you watch Parallax. I do love that TV shows uh, for kids that are a bit more complicated tend to start with these really helpful openings. Yeah, I've, I find it interesting that they like they don't just do a previously on, but they do like a narrated previously on mm. with Ben up in the corner being like, so this thing happened. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not actually a, a full recap of what happened in the previous episode. No. It's just a very like, this is the tone of the show and this is what happens. Kooky nature. Well, I kind of felt it was weird because it was it like was weird. not really helpful. <laughs> it wasn't actually yeah helpful information. It was just broad strokes. There was once, you know how we, we watched the original Roswell TV show? Yes. Um, on this podcast, possibly not in episodes that you guys listen to. I can't remember. Uh, at one point in that show, the mythology got so complicated <laughs> that they started every episode with a chalkboard talk where Maria would stand up in front, like, would be standing in front of a chalkboard and would be like, okay, so this is where we are in the season. And just basically give you a little bit of a previously on, but like very specifically direct to camera. Oh, so it was direct to camera, not like from an episode where they had to explain something. No, on the no, chalkboard. it was just like a direct address. <laughs> like, wow. yeah. With, like, little Maria commentaries. Oh, know, yeah, yeah, Because she was, yeah. like, the sassy one. Yeah. But, yeah, it was, like... I think at the time I really appreciated it because, you yeah. know, when, when viewing wasn't always... Like, if you missed a week, you couldn't just catch up, like... Or if you... You, you don't... Ha- you, we, we weren't easily accessing the internet back then either. So you couldn't just easily look up episode guides or previous information. Yeah, yeah. It was a little different. And I was quite young, so I wasn't actually getting every episode. It just happened to be on, I think, after Buffy. So if Cass had taped Buffy, sometimes you'd get some Roswell after it. And, and I'd love more Maria. I mean, Maria's great. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But I appreciated it at the time, but now I'm like, ooh, that's bad. If your mythology <laughs> is so complicated that you need a chalkboard talk at the beginning of it. Each episode? Each episode. It was only for like a like a four or five episode run that they did it. Oh, okay. And then they were like, mm, this is not working. <laughs> this and is And they bad. just like killed off a bunch of characters because they were like, too hard. <laughs> <laughs> too many things going on. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I do like that that was there. Speaking of too many things going on... Um, Parallax uh, does become one of those shows, but it wasn't until I was looking into it for this podcast that I realised that it was actually only a one-season show. Mm. Um, Because there's a lot of characters, there's parallel universes and multiple worlds, and I I thought by the time you see like three or four different iterations of characters, and even people in character intros who aren't introduced till like halfway through the season... Yeah, I noticed that. (laughs) ...are in every single episode intro, and I'm like, wait... Wait, what? That all happens in one season? There's so much that happens in one season. But then it also, I think, didn't really plan on finishing in that one season either. Like most TV shows, they don't tend to be a one and done. So this uh, only ran um, from the 5th of August to the 10th of September in 2004. Um, So a little while ago, it was uh, mostly uh, financed uh, by the Film Finance Corporation Australia, which is supported by Lottery West. So it was actually funded by Lotto. Have I spoken to you about... Is that a big thing that happens? Okay. I, I love the history of Lotto. Okay. So initially, 
all lotteries, at least in Australia, were state-run. Right. So that meant that if you every time you buy a lotto ticket, not only does that money go into like the jackpot and stuff, but also all the profit goes back into public works. Yeah. And so over the years, all the other states have made all of their lotteries private, which mm-hmm. means that you no longer have the money going back into the, the state. state. Lottery West, which is West Australia's company, is the only one that remains state-run. Interesting. So Lottery West fund heaps of shit. You can get Lottery West grants for your local sports team. You can get them for artistic projects. You can get them for all sorts of things. And then they also... So they like they sponsor things, but they're also just some of the money just goes back into the, into the tax office, basically. Oh, that's actually really nice. Yeah, yeah. Good on Western Australia. Speaking of, a lot of this films in uh, locations surrounding Perth in Western Australia. I think I knew that. As I was watching it, there was something I was looking at and I was like... Familiar? This is... Something tells me this is shot in WA. I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on it. I mean, I, I don't think like, like small like beach rural towns like in Australia look that different. No. That's... Like state to state. But I, I do know the feeling of like... Hang on, this this kind of feels like somewhere I've driven past or through yeah. or seen something very similar to. I don't know what it was, or if there was something that they said that made me go, "Is this actually?" It may even be the name of the town. I I, I couldn't actually refine the name of the town. Yeah, it's it was like called one like, or... it was called Weranup. Weranup. And there's it. a there's a suburb in Perth called Karenup. Oh, okay, yeah. And maybe that was what made me think like, maybe this is. This is filmed in WA and they're just like trying to make it like it's Karen Up. Uh, Warren Up, spelt differently, <laughs> I think, is uh, an area in Western Australia. Is this Western? Oh, it's right down near Albany, I see. Oh, yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's why I was like, the ocean shouldn't be on, <laughs> on the that right side hand of that side. state. <laughs> um, there's, a big, there's a big bay. In Western Albany. Australia is a big place. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was just something about it that made me think. It was filmed in WA and it may have been the name of the town. Mm. Um, but I was a big fan of the show. Um, this was one of those standard things that was on in, you know, 4.30, 4 in the afternoons in between Totally Wild and something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I always really um, got bummed when I didn't see Catch the Next Episode. But I think one of the reasons why I thought there were many more seasons of this is because this, this show re-ran for quite a while. It did, yes. Yeah. 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 Um, when did it, when, what timeline are we talking about here? It was 2004. Okay, great. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this was actually uh, created by Paul Barron, who's done a host of um, other Australian television. Oh wow! Look at these! Look at these! <laughs> this. Okay. <laughs> so Chuck Finn, which I remember very distinctly. You remember Chuck Finn? Mm-hmm. What's? I don't know what Chuck Finn is. Am I supposed to? Is that a historical figure? No, no. Chuck Chuck Finn was like a TV show where he was like a Canadian boy who'd been sent to live in Australia and there was like a town that was on a river and some of his friends owned like a boat and there were ghosts on the boat. Um, it was a whole thing. Planning um, Around is hugely successful. Yeah, and I was um, just looking at the uh, like the, the logline for that and I was like, this sounds... But a lot of family television shows, uh, it seems like, that are directed at a broad audience. Um, Fast Tracks, I remember that. Heat, I remember that. I don't remember any of these. These are all before your time. <laughs> these are before your time. Misery There's guys, two I, years difference between us, but that's I know, all but it I takes. have big sisters yeah, who watched true. a lot of this stuff. That's true. Um... Uh, there was one up there that I saw as well. Misery Guts. I, was a, I didn't watch that, but I remember it being on. Ship to Shore. Now, this rung a bell for me. 
Uh, I have no idea what it is. Ship to shore? Yeah. It was going to be what I was going to do next week for starters. Oh! <laughs> well, there you go. I definitely It's another one it. filmed in WA. Yeah. Um, I don't think you would remember Ship to Shore again. I think it's a bit before your time. Mm. I ve- I only vaguely remembered it, and it was one of those ones I went to look up what I was going to do, and I couldn't remember any of the details, and I was like, oh, I just don't remember it. I remember one of his latest uh, products, Stormworld, um, but I did not watch that because that was just a year... I was in year 11 at this point of time, uh, and I was just like, oh, they're doing more stuff. Cool. Because it seemed very parallax to me. Yeah, it looks like... I mean, it looks like the same kind of thing. Very, um, the tribe. God bless Paul Barron. <laughs> um, but anyway... Largely responsible. Oh, and The Gift. I loved The Gift. The Gift? Oh, I have seen The Gift. Wow. The Gift was great. Remember, there was a suitcase? And yeah. whatever was inside the suitcase was your gift? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was quite sweet. Anyway... Uh, there's not a lot of information on Parallax when I was actually trying to figure out some of this about it or even like why it was cancelled, assuming it was probably not great ratings or things like that that led to it. Um, but a bit of entomology? Etymology. Etymology, thank you, Jane. Entomology is the study of insects. Ah, I knew it was not quite Think right. Ent is like ant. Yes, and et. There's no way, just no, remember okay. it's, the, it's the other one. <laughs> um, so I knew Parallax was a web design system software in terms of a display when things kind of move in uh, different backgrounds and scroll and look kind of cool. Sure. Um, but I didn't realise it was actually a word because I thought the word Parallax was on television was just a cool way of saying like parallel universes because, mm-hmm. you know, put an X in a title, it's cool, it's funky, it's hip. I mean, it's, I'm sure that's why they picked it. But I didn't realise it was actually like, it, it's, it's hard to explain on an audio medium. Sure. (laughs) Um, But it's kind of like when uh, an object is in front of a different background or a different viewpoint and it looks like it's travelled closer or further away. It's just a trick of the eyesight. Oh, right. So it's just like perspective. Yeah, it's basically just but it's a particular type of perspective being against a different type of background which made the same object look like it's either gotten closer or further away even though the distance hasn't actually changed at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's from the original ancient Greek term parallaxis. Very, there you go. That's about all I got on Parallax. I mean, I think there's a lot, there's, there's a little bit of kind of thematic resonance in terms of those two names. Oh, in terms of the perspective? Yeah, in terms of, you know, basically small changes in in something oh, yeah. can cause a totally different perception of the world or a totally different way that the world is. I think you're giving the show more credit than it's worth, but that could be a thing. <laughs> I would like if that was the thing, yeah. because that's something we'll talk about in today's episode. Sure, great. All right, so I'll move on to the uh, show context and the epitax. Yes, please. So I was giving Jane, um, as usual, not a um, first pilot episode, but I actually went into the second episode because of reasons we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. So here is the show context I gave for Jane. I was giving her episode two, A Rare Find, and episode five, Lost in Paradise, since there's only one season. Ben is a young boy in a boring, ordinary country beach town, accidentally discovers portals to parallel universes, one of which is bound by much stricter rules and is oppressive to the common folk with laws like getting arrested for walking on the wrong side of the road or stepping on public grass. In this stricter world, he discovers that this world's version of his mum married someone else and actually had a daughter instead of him. His newly discovered older sister, Catherine, whose version of his mum disappeared some time ago. Curious to learn more, Catherine discovers with Ben back in his ordinary universe that his mum is actually some sort of fighter and defends the two kids from flying purple mosquito-looking things with a weird wand-looking gun thing. Catherine has a friend called Melinda with glasses, Ben, 
uh, has a long-haired surfer friend called Francis, but also ran into an alternate version of Francis, stealing people's stuff but seems nice in a kooky way. Uh, and Ben's dad in the ordinary universe found an old historical looking painting under his floorboards when he was doing the floors upstairs. Great. So the recap for the first episode that you made me watch, uh, which was a episode two. Find. A rare find. Ben is excitedly talking to his mum about how kick-ass she is, but she's having none of it. His dad finds a painting in the floorboards upstairs. In the other universe, Catherine's dad has until 5pm to produce the money that he owes or his house will be demolished. Ben goes over to the other universe with the stave, which is the wandy thing. Uh, fails epically at using it against the Welkin, but discovers that they can be killed by water. He then leaves the stave there like a dumbass. He stays in strict. I just called it strict. Yeah. He stays in strict and tries to help Catherine's dad come up with a plan to save the house. He thinks they could use the painting that his dad found in the other universe to prove that the building should get heritage listing. He sends Melinda to go and get it. In normal universe, dad's uh, in the normal universe, Ben's dad discovers that the painting is worthless, so he's happy to give it to Melinda for free. Melinda and Catherine, who has been chatting with her mum and is sad to have been abandoned, go back to Strict with the painting, but rather than proving the heritage listing, they instead sell it to the mean lady for the amount of money they owed on the house, thus cancelling out the debt. Ben goes back to his world, his mum asks where the stave is, and we see the weird drifter version of Francis pick it up. Mm-hmm. All right. Basic enough. And then on to the epitext for episode five, which I gave Jane is hard and i tried to give jane ordinary and strict uh, but you started calling it normal i think yeah ordinary is just an awkward word <laughs> it is but you can call it ordinary yeah fine. yeah in a recent town dance the kids have been enjoying using their doubles to their advantage ben got to dance with the ordinary more popular melinda with the help of strict melinda uh, by manipulating the town bully ordinary francis and thief francis uh, who's actually from a different looser hippie universe, realised the potential of having twice of you, but the real event of the night was that since it was a masquerade dance, Catherine brought her dad to Ordinary Universe since he's been without her, their mum for so long. Who also recently discovered that Ben's mum is also Catherine's mum from Stricter Universe. They're the same person. Uh, she left them and travelled to Ordinary Universe where she met Ben's dad and later on had Ben. Catherine orchestrated a masked dance between her mum and her dad from Strict in hopes that they'd get back together, but her mum left in almost tears, saying that she can't go back to Strict Universe. Not that she doesn't want to, um, but that she can't. But Catherine's dad saw it as just as another reminder that it's time to move on. Also, there's this lovely old lady called Mrs. Dawes who treats her chicken like a baby selling eggs from a stroller in the street in Ordinary Universe, but in Strict... Uh, she's your textbook villainous librarian. Sure. <laughs> okay. I probably gave way more than you needed for this particular episode, but so much happened on the previous episode that I wasn't sure if, like, undertones would fall through on Catherine's acting. Yeah. They also seemed to be, like, they seemed to know that she was the same person... In, in the, the original one? In the second episode. Because Catherine came back and was talking to her about how upset she was that she'd been abandoned by her. They weren't talking as if she was a different person. They were talking as if she was the same person as her actual mum. Well, that wasn't, like, how I felt about it maybe when I was watching the show. And I went back and watched the episodes a few more times and I was like, did they actually talk about this? And I was going through in between the episodes of, like, between these episodes to try and figure out where it was more clear, where it came up. 
Uh, and there is another conversation where they do make it more clear. So it, it probably was there from the beginning. Mm. Um, but to kind of keep other kids up to date, or Kurt, um, <laughs> <laughs> they made it more of a plot point uh, at around episode uh, three and four. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, so my, my recap for that episode is Melinda is bored at the library, so she travels over to the normal universe for a milkshake. She runs into her normal universe dad, and he takes her home to do her chores. When she stops off to get some eggs on the way, she is trying to avoid Mrs. Dawes, who's the chicken lady, and falls back into a new portal, landing in a rubbish tip. Catherine comes to the normal universe to find her, but she doesn't want Ben's help. She seems to be pretty cranky with him. She wants, to, she wants Francis to help. She goes through a portal in the library from her world to Francis's world, and they realise that there must be another portal with the symbol on it in the ordinary world. Ben searches for Melinda and is led to Mrs. Dawes egg pen, finding the way into the tip. Francis and Catherine also make their way, but the rubbish near the portal is taken away, so they need to find a new... Uh, they need to figure out how to find the portal again. When Then the Welkins come, and they try to fight them off, but then gets bitten. They spit on one of the Welkins until it dies. <laughs> classy, classy. Uh, then they see another kind of creature kind of, you know, slithering along the ground. And so they they find the portal really quickly and run back through. And that was kind of at the end. Yeah, that's pretty much the episode. Yeah. Yep. All right, I'm curious to hear about what you thought while you were watching it. Love a nice intro like this, making sure that I'm up to date with whatever the story is. Love fire. Taking this pause by the rains, making red coats red with blood stains. I love the switching universe effect. It's about as good as the effects in the show that we're going to watch next week. This is like a classic trope of Australian TV. This whole like, somebody's going to come in and develop the place and we don't want big high rise buildings in our town. I was nearly going to give a ship to shore for next week and that's like pretty much the same storyline for the whole two seasons. I love it when like kids try to play the like surfer dude. It's so like put on and I love it. The size of these welkins seem to like change depending on like where they are or how close they are to you. I don't know they seem bigger but then the perspective just seems to be off sometimes. Catherine's wide leg khaki pants are just like everything that I wanted when I was 14. $10,000 of accumulated interest actually isn't that much for a home loan. And also you wouldn't just have the interest left to pay, you should have the rest of it. Like you, sh you have to pay off the interest you can either pay off just the interest or the interest and the principal. You can't pay off the principal without the interest. So you should just say that you have $10,000 left to pay, have to pay in the house instead of specifying that it's of accumulated interest. A building doesn't have to be famous to get heritage listing. Go back and get the stave, you dickhead. You've left it behind. That is a very rude thing to say to a young teenager. Well, as long as you like it. Okay, there's a difference between saying that a, a building has cultural significance to a town and therefore deciding not to knock it down and saying that a building has heritage listing. They're two different things. That is not how the law works. 
I know we're in another universe, but laws don't work like that. There's got to be paperwork and agreements and payment timelines. Everything about this is bad. I can't. No, actually, this is fine. I just, you know, I want there to be some realism in when you're going to do laws, just do laws. Huh. This looks like me trying to study in the library. I want something. I want to do something else. I don't want to study. It's a police state. How politically relevant in our times. The ants go marching one by one. That's the song that they want to use. Guys, get Melinda a shirt that fits. The way that that fabric is stretching across her boobs, it's not very fair to her. And again, I remember we all sort of used to wear our tops like that in this time. I think I actually remember this episode. This is drawing a, like ringing some bells to me. You know what I really appreciate is the sound design in this show. The birds in the background are actual birds that you would hear. Boysenberry and lemon are weird flavours for milkshakes, FYI. That's not how you hammer a nail in. Oh, stop. Just move the ladder. Move the... Oh, my God. I do appreciate how close to siblings they are, considering that they're not actually siblings. You know, as somebody who used to be a library worker, I don't appreciate the demonisation of other library workers in this TV show. We're actually all very nice people. I kind of appreciate the message they're saying about consumerism as well on this one. I feel like they're actually attempting some slightly deeper messages about the perils of modern society. I mean, they're not focusing on it, but it's kind of there. Yeah, that was about how I remember it in general. (laughs) So, you give us a lot of maths... And then you start breaking down laws of heritage listing versus, um, what's it, town value? Yeah, so, like, a local council can say, like, this this building has historical value mm-hmm. and therefore we're going to, you know, give it, give it, you know, that status and decide not to knock it down. But, like, a heritage listing is, like, a whole process. Yeah. And it takes yeah. time yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. can't happen while there's bulldozers out the front. Yeah. But mind you, they could also just hand over some paperwork and then a law was established. I mean... <laughs> so this universe works a bit differently. Um, but yes, thank you for being uh, letting this show not get uh, um, too general with the details. I just feel like it's even, even as, like, I'm, and we have to remember that we were both, like, you were 12, I was 14 when mm-hmm, this was on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if I think about myself as a 14-year-old, like... The home loan stuff would have gone right over my head. Oh yeah, I mean, I didn't like know you still home loans you still then. have to do like interest questions in maths. Um, oh no, probably not by then. Probably maybe that would be two, three years on later. Yeah, that's kind of like a sixteen-year-old thing. Yeah, but, but also just in general, like even when we learned about interest in school, I didn't understand the way that interest actually works in the world. Yeah, they may say like, and they put this person uh, paid off this much money by this, blah, 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 blah. but like. The actual understanding that when you have a home loan, the options are pay off interest only or pay off the price of the home loan and interest. You're never left with just a pile of interest at the end. Yeah, because then you would have paid off the loan. Yeah, like you can't, you can't, 
if it sounds like he's paid off the loan, but not the interest, and yeah. that's not an option. Like they were two separate payments. Yeah, it's not a thing. So I was like, just like, I don't understand why you would so specifically say it's $10,000 of accumulated interest when you could just say there's $10,000 still owing on the house. I will play devil's advocate and say, I think the what they were trying to do is show that in this universe, the banks were... They'd paid off the money for the house, but the amount of interests that kept developing made that they were left behind. It's a crueler universe, no, I but, think is what no, they were that, trying to say. But that is the same thing. It's yeah. the same principle because you you have to... When you say you have $10,000 still owing on the house, that includes the interest that you have to pay. And it takes longer to pay it off the more interest you get. So it's the same concept. It just... They've tried to make it sound like that. You know what they've done, though, because they don't want it to make it seem like it's the dad's fault for not being able to... I know, but, like, instead of actually teaching us something valuable about the way the banks work and screw us over... They've just said something inaccurate. They've just said something inaccurate. I just don't appreciate it, you know? Okay, moving on from the bank loan, what did you... Do you uh, see? So did you have a, a visceral memory of um, the second episode that you watched? Not a visceral. I, I remember this show. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, so the reruns, of course, right? But um, I vividly remembered the second episode of this show, and I've, I the and second I, episode that we watched, or the second episode, the second episode that we watched. Yeah. Um, when she when she's like on the grass and super excited, was that the moment when you you you'd realize me like, oh yeah, this is the kind of thing. Uh, that was that was the moment that I realised, but throughout the whole thing, I was yeah. like, I do, yeah, I remember this episode yeah. quite specifically. Um, I think because it's kind of, uh, I think because Melinda is such a like vibrant character, yeah. and she has such like emotional reactions to things. So I think that that's kind of what stuck in my head as this whole like when you skip universes. I always remembered her reactions. So later on down the line, when they go to that other universe where there's like the girls with the crazy hair, yeah. um, I remember that like she again, like they're, they're drinking like a fizzy drink that they don't like because that's like all they have in this universe is fizzy drinks and not nothing that's natural. Yeah. And they're like, ugh, gross. And she's like, this is amazing. <laughs> I love it because all they have in their universe is boring stuff. Yeah. So like I always remembered her reactions to things because they were the most you know, vibrant. Mm. What um, I, I, and I, don't, I didn't remember the plots particularly well. <laughs> but Melinda did something and her face got excited. Mm. Um, I um, I always really liked Melinda for, for a very similar reason, but, but I guess because, like, she's... When you, you're first introduced to her as a character, she seems like this, you know, s- s- person who's all uptight and whatever, but that's just what her world has put upon her. Mm. That's not the actual character or person that she is. And so I love that she's one of the few people... Uh, I guess other than the hippie Francis, um, that really takes the parallel universe adventure in stride. At yeah. first, Ben's like, this could be fun, an adventure or something. Like, you know, a standard bell like song at the beginning of Beauty and the Beast. I wanted Ben Schwartz really, in the isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> no wonder why they don't like you. Yeah. Um uh, you know, I want adventure in the Great Wide somewhere. Ben does a lot of falls in a, the first episode of a lot of those boring, very similar repetitive tropey lines. Um, and just want something to happen. And then, whoops, into parallel universe. But with Melinda, it was just like, this is fun. This is exciting. It's kind of like kind of pure like... joy. Yeah. It's just like it's nice to see pure joy on screen sometimes. Oh. Uh, and, then, and then get herself out of the scrapes that she gets herself into. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I've always enjoyed Melinda a butt ton. Uh, and so when I was trying to figure out which episodes to give you, I was like, I vividly remembered this entire episode. This is the only one I could actually tell you what happens in the episode. And yeah, then, it's probably one of the few that I, I remembered really well. And um, I honestly, the thing that always, one of the first memories of when I think of Parallax is Melinda doing Star Angels on the Grass. 
And then I think I, after I saw that episode on TV, I went out to go do that. I was like, that seems like fun. I should probably go do that. That is fun. And then you get rashes. I was going to say, if I did that, I'd just get covered <laughs> in, um, like, hives. And then green uh, ant bites and things like that, and your legs get swollen. Yeah, yeah. Australia. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Bindi bites. Um, but no, um, what do you think about Ben itself? Sorry? Ben himself. Ben himself. Uh, I don't care yeah. about Ben. Uh, I mean, I don't... I, I, I've always had trouble latching onto male protagonists. Yeah. Um, I just often find... Is that a straight white male protagonist thing or just gender? I mean, uh, there aren't that many shows that don't have straight... Like, if there's a male protagonist, <laughs> they're usually straight. Unless it's specifically a gay show. Yeah. Mm. I I mean, particularly as a kid, there was... There was oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, yes, is the answer to that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I generally have trouble latching on. I just find them pretty annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what I like about this show, and one of the reasons why I chose the second episode in particular, is uh, the way that uh, their mum is. I always forget her name. Uh, Veronica. Veronica um, is because she's, she's you know she's you know this guardian you know trying to fight and whatever and keep things whatever, but. Then she's also like, okay, help me with the scones, please. We've got 30 people coming over for dinner. Mm. You know, and just the way the dialogue was thrown in there to just for a kids' TV show to be so conversational in terms of getting things ready for dinner, that's one of the first times in a kids' TV show that I saw more evidence of that sort of thing happening. And it was quite enjoyable to me when I watched it back. And I was like, oh, yeah, there is a little bit of this in here. It, it makes it that much more relatable that you could almost picture your mum being this crime-fighting guardian while you're off at school. Like, you don't know what she gets up to. Um, and it was always a really fun concept because I always looked at my mum as my hero in a kind of more idyllic, that figurative so way. That is so sweet. <laughs> I do still. Um... That is the sweetest thing I've ever heard <laughs> okay, you say. Stop, you're going to make my me cry a little bit. My mum is my hero. Oh my gosh. I really, I'm actually tearing up. So I'm not Aww. just saying this shit so it sounds good on podcasts so you know. <laughs> that is uh, adorable. Okay, anyway. Um, but I also really liked that in that particular episode, uh, it showed the, the subtle nature of a simple twist. Uh, you know, a penniless artist can be not popular at all in one universe, but change a couple of things and he's well known and established in another. And it was that little detail that made me more excited to see what the differences would be. The show doesn't have those little differences as much, more of the much bigger universes uh, differences, you know, the strict, hippie, normal, crazy Amazonian. Um, rubbish world and then um, does the rubbish world become the rubbish world is a key plot point but like is it just rubbish world or is it also the world where the the other the girls with the crazy hair live in I think that might be the same world I think it's the same world yeah um I didn't watch all 26 episodes before getting back up to this what sorry how dare you um but and and I guess mostly through the reruns I remember the first half of the season a lot more than the second half of the season uh, but it, I, um, I was, I was so keen to show the villain as well because their mum is also the villain, not just also the um, hero of the story. But it was just, it got too complicated oh, by that yeah. point in time. Yeah, she's got like a dark, bl- a dark uh, brunette uh-huh. bob and a big white hat, and she's I very totally menacing. Totally forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, and it's really fun to see, uh, like you know, a, um, an adult actor in a kids show get to have like fun with this sort of stuff and not yeah. have to be like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm amping it up to be good for the kids. Just actually enjoy it. Um, and even though some of the Kung Fu stuff with the wand is a bit ridiculous, I I, I really just love seeing Veronica do shit. 
Yeah, no, she's, I mean, she's fun. She's, I kind of like, yeah, that con- that contrast between like, I've got to do my mum stuff and I've got to do the save the world stuff. Yeah. I always like seeing that in TV shows. It's, you know, it's one of those things that makes you love shows like Alias. Mm, yeah, it's like, oh no, I've got a housemate dinner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. just and, cover up the bruises what, on my cheek. And what you prioritise, you know, mm. I think that, that really shows, and, and it brings up interesting questions about why she left Catherine and her dad yeah. behind of going like what was she prioritizing that meant that she moved to another universe and then had another family like she's prioritized Ben's family over Catherine's and and you know it, it kind of is an interesting question to go like what were her motivations behind doing all of this stuff mm. it makes her a more interesting character than if she was just like I don't know, really cutthroat, or if she was just all one thing. Yeah, and she's kind of, like, the source of all knowledge um, for what's going on. So she's almost, like, the bigger season three line of information. Which, she's... which kind of annoys me, just in terms of, like, if she has all this information, why doesn't she, she just, just tell them? <laughs> sit Ben and Catherine down and say, like, here's the deal. <laughs> Instead of have them, like, running between, you know, universes. Having all these and... adventures and getting themselves in danger. Like, why didn't they ask... Veronica for her help with Ben with the house yeah with Catherine's dad losing his house Uh, that would have shown the plot point that she can't physically go back to that universe too early on in the season but like they didn't even ask her for help like what should we do about this well I guess Ben already showed earlier in that episode that he was trying to get information out of her and she was like giving him a little bit she's like not now you know we're dealing with dinner And maybe it was just a little respect of mum's got dinner on. I can't deal with it right now. There's 30 people coming over. Yeah. Um, But I will say it is, again, to your reactions, was very frustrating when in kids' shows they set up these slapstick comedy moments that are so clearly not how you do something. When he put the hammer in the nail there, I'm like, what are you putting the nail in there for? Why are you even putting it there? Yeah. Have you got a pot plant that you're planning on hanging? Then it would have a purpose. And, like, you can't just, like, stick it in and then try and, and hit it. Like, just... you've got to hold it there, a little tap, get down a little of the way, and then you can do one hand. Like, and, and, and what, like, just move the pile of rubbish out of the way so you can put the ladder there so you can get closer. Like, it's so dangerous leaning across. He's an idiot. Do you remember, actually, this is a bit of a common trope. I'm not sure if this is an Australian TV show thing or a kids' TV show thing when they've got empowered female figures, um, but they almost go out of their way to make his dad seem like an idiot. Um... I guess for laughs, but it's just constantly happening to the point that you're almost like aggravated by him. And do you think, and I've seen it in other shows as well, where if the mum's the one who's doing more work, then the dad is automatically seen as a fool or a buffoon. And I'm a little bit frustrated by that um, representation because I I love it when you get to see dads doing mum things and that's generally fine or whatever. And seeing women doing what was, you know, much older times ago, you know, being the the main breadwinner of the family or so to speak. Um, But then the fact that they would almost have to balance it out with some sort of weird manly being a comedy clown thing. Yeah, our our old lecturer, one of our old lecturers talked about this a little bit in TV advertising. She used to call it the, um... The oh dad, like principle, <laughs> yeah. um, of basically, and they used it a lot in advertising, particularly in the late nineties, early ooze, oh, yeah. of there being like a useless dad, and mum pops in, like dad's trying to get kids ready for school, and he can't, and he's doing everyone's hair wrong, and he can't tie their shoelaces, and then mum swans in and goes, oh dad, and then like gets out, I don't know, whatever they're advertising, the squeegee bottle, chicken or whatever. tonight, yeah, yeah, and and just fixes it in an instant. And it's one of those things that I think was kind of like an overcorrection of 
um, trying to show strong, powerful women, but they, it always ends up putting them back in the domestic setting for starters mm. and showing that that's their strength. It puts unreal expectations on women to be not only the breadwinner, but also the, the handy person, the, in the handy house. person in the house. And it and it allows dads to be like incompetent, incompetent. And and I think I mean I have this massive problem with dads who don't do enough around the house. Oh, honey, you know who just like who consider looking after their own children to be babysitting. Yeah, you know that kind of thing. Who who just you know maybe they're looking after the kids for the day and all they can do is look after the kids and they don't do any dishes and they don't do any washing mm. and like, or even if they do do it, then they do a bad job of it. And I just, I think that all of that stuff just kind of feeds into this narrative. And it, I, yeah, I feel like they're always saying like, in order, the woman can only be really good if her husband is really bad. And then she's had to step up and take that role. Yeah. And not that he's bad, but he's just useless. Yeah. And so uh, that, that just really brought it up in me. And I was like, this happened so much. But yeah, I didn't realize how much it was affecting children's television as well. Mm. Because that's an element where, you know, you would probably see maybe more female protagonists sometimes popping up in, in TV shows. Uh, and then if that was being the case, Catherine is a very powerful presence in this show. Mm. Um, her being the older of the two uh, main characters, uh, but also in the fact that she's the one who's kind of driving the initial like mystery of what happened to her mum uh, originally in the first half of the season. But I, um, yeah, it definitely uh, became a bit of a just a frustration for me um, that I'm hoping we don't see repeat itself over and over in this um, show, I mean, season that we're doing. There's, there's even, it's even stereotypical the way that they portray Ben versus Catherine, which is that Catherine is, this is another trope of, of kind of, you know, cinema and television of having like, the boy is the happy-go-lucky one who just like follows his instincts and is like naturally good at stuff. And the girl is the one who like, thinks practically and is like an ice queen and, and you know... Actually doesn't stray from her studies. And doesn't stray or like, you know, and, and is good at something but only because she's worked really hard at it. That kind of thing. Mm. Like, I just feel like all of that stuff just continually plays into the same stereotypes. And for once, I would like it to be the other way around. Well, I'm sure there are more TV shows today where it might be the other way around. I think there probably are a few... Um, but I mean, She-Ra is actually a little bit like that, I will say, uh, in terms of Glimmer being the more like kind of, let's go in and do something crazy. Mm. And Bo is the one who's more like, hang on, let's come up with a plan, let's strategize. Yeah, maybe. Um, but that's just trying to pull one example that I knew you immediately knew. Yeah, and, and, I mean, and I mean, She-Ra makes a point of trying to like, you know, overcome stereotypes. Mm -hmm. I just feel like so many shows, like if they're not interested in that kind of thing, then they're like... They're super not interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just com almost completely ignored. Yeah. Okay, we've gotten very off topic here. No, we haven't. Well, no, we've been talking about talking interesting parallax. shit. <laughs> we are talking about Parallax, that's true. Yeah, no, what was um, some things that you really didn't like? Other than what we just discussed, I suppose. I think that in general, this is a pretty innocuous show. Now, I'm fairly certain I know the meaning of the word. But just so everyone knows, like, what is the direct meaning of innocuous? It's like, it's not... Um, let me give you the dictionary meaning. I don't, <laughs> I, I'm trying to... So innocuous means not harmful or offensive. Yeah. That's the literal dictionary meaning. And that's kind of how I feel about this show. It's not it's hilariously not... bad. I don't think it's amazingly good. It's not saying something significant. 
I'll get a little bit into something that I think that it might be playing around with saying. Okay. Okay. Um, I think it does play around with the a few ideas. Uh, but in general, it's it's neither hilariously good, it's neither hilariously bad, it's not um, doing anything that we haven't really seen before. Um, but it's also using things that may have been successful before. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's particularly original. Oh no, is what I'm saying there. Um, nor is it like specifically derivative of one particular other thing. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to like to feel really passionately about this show in any way. I'm just glad it's not in one way. <laughs> no, I don't. I like, I don't, I definitely don't hate this. Um, and there is a, maybe a small nostalgic aspect to it you as well, because while this, no, not at all. <laughs> I, you this, just remember it. Yeah, this show was on. <laughs> Full stop. Like, I remember it being on, and if it was on, I didn't turn it off. Yeah. You know, it was... The, the it was a four o'clock in the afternoon. Come home usually while I was getting ready to go to dance class. I, I might, you know, cast an eye. You weren't going to the telly, uh, but I wasn't. I didn't try and see it every week, every day, or every week, um, and I didn't follow the storyline that closely. See, for me, this like I got super interested in the show, and I even started like looking for symbols on like weird caves and rocks and places. Um, like, not in a way that I thought that it was actually real, mm. but just in a way that I was like, but there could be something. Yeah. And then just getting more adventurous and, like, anytime I'd be away on, like, holiday or whatever and you go to, like, little beach caves or whatever else and you just, like, just look around a little bit more and I would always kind of feel a little bit like Ben in those first initial episodes where he just falls through into a different universe. Um, also, when I was doing um, some more of, like, uh, research just before the show, I realised that they show you on the screen, you know, when they cut to different worlds, um, a colour around a particular world, and mm -hmm. each world has that particular colour, and, the, and they mainly use the primary colours for the first three ones that you discover. But then I didn't, like, equate them, and I was like, maybe this would have been so much easier for you to understand before I wrote my show in Epitex, in terms of one's known as the red world, one's known as the blue world, and one's known as the yellow world. I mean, that, that would have made sense. But it, it like... The red world, I think, is the normal, ordinary world. And that's what got me up. Because colour-wise, I think of blue as more calm and happy. And red is more strict and angry and evil. But yellow for hippie, I get. But also maybe you're going, like, blue for, like, a cool, sterile world. Oh, yes. yes and um, red for a world that's kind of a little bit got more passion and drive behind it. Joy. Joy. Yeah. <laughs> Love. Maybe. I mean... You could characterize colors in whatever way you fucking want. Like, oh, but that's one thing that really pissed me off is that in the first few episodes, you're seeing that same transition when you, you know, so audiences very clearly know what's happened. But you see that the first time that he ever does that, and then it's a big revelation that there's multiple universes to to Ben. And I'm like, I see like thirty. Clearly, there's multiple. Oh, like, yeah. That's something where I think the di the script and the uh, post production department didn't really sync on in those opening episodes. Yeah, or I mean, I think, I think it's okay to be like, hey guys, at some point there's going to be more universes. Like, well, there wasn't. Well, <laughs> oh, there was a few more. There, you know, there's at least three. Yeah, I think there's four. There's four. four. We know of at we least know of four. four. <laughs> so I think it's it's fine to be like, at this point we can we can assume that there's probably. A very large number of yes, universes. Yes, yes, And anyone who's read comic books in the DC world of things would know about multiverse theory and exactly. that sort of information. I, I feel like that, that's not... I mean, there's just so many shows about multiple universes. Parallel universes. Are there? 
Yeah. I feel like I've missed them. I feel like I know they exist, but they just haven't, like, hit me on my TV guide week in that time when they were around. I mean, I just watched a lot of sci-fi growing up, so, like... I mean, I feel like I did, too, but the only thing I could think about is, like, what are the parallel universe shows? I could only think of Fringe. Sliders. Quantum Leap. Sliders. Oh, oh I, I never saw... Quantum Leap, that's, that's, that's time travel, oh, isn't no, it? Oh, no, you're right. It's, oh, yeah, it is time travel, isn't it? Um... Sliders was a big one in the 90s. Ooh. I don't know what Sliders is at all. I just know that it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> it's about parallel universe. It's about a multiverse, basically. Um, I've got um, nine worlds that were at least go. established in the first season. So that's not too bad. Yeah. Nine out of the probably like 18 or 20 they put on that little cutaway. Yeah. I just assumed that there was an infinite number. Yeah, same. You can't put infinite number of things on a simple transition no, show. No, you can't. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, I do kind of wish that they'd made each world a little bit more visually distinct. Yeah, I could tell that was a bit more of the, like... Because for all those wide establishing shots of towns and things like that, it is, like... It does look quite same-samey. You just, mm. you know, you got the keep off the grass signs and things like that. Um, but uh, that's something where I guess either the production could have been a bit of a miss point, but also in the first few episodes, you make a clear point of him being confused because it kind of looks like his previous universe. Yeah, I think I just would have wanted like... But that doesn't really help once they know there's parallel universes mm. and that's most of the season. It also doesn't need to be in that way. It could be a difference in the film, like in the film style. Editing wise. Whether it's, whether it's you know, a, a very slight difference in your colour... What's it called? Colour... In your um, colour grading. Colour grading, thank you. Uh, it's like a slight difference in your colour grading, yeah, um, that a, kind of thing. A really good example of this is a place that does not talk about parallel universes, but because of the finest Crisis of Infinite Earths DC Arrowverse crossover episode mm. that happened a little while ago, um, Smallville did this beautifully. Whenever they were in Kansas... Um, sorry. <laughs> whenever they were in Smallville, mm. <laughs> um, you know, in the farm, in the small country town... Red, orange, yellow hues, lighting, and then as soon as they're on Metropolis, cool, dark, like white lights. Yeah. Uh, and the tonal difference, as soon as I listened to that on your commentary, I couldn't not see that. It was mm. so obvious and beautiful the way that they're like... I will say one thing about Smallville. I think it's a very well-lit show. Sure. <laughs> but... Um, I'll take you away from it. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, it, with um, these kind of wide open environments, it's a lot harder to, you know, light these things differently. But yeah, with colour grading, color grading there's not no reason with you actual could... lights, you could have actually done things a bit differently. But editing has come a long way, especially in terms of how television shows Sorry, are Sorry, when was Smallville on? Oh, no. Uh, Smallville was actually with lights, not with editing. Yeah, but still. Smallville was on between uh, 2000 to 2000 and. 2002 to 2013. The point I'm making is color grading existed in 2004. <laughs> yeah, well, color grading school existed for some time, yes. And this Australian show did not do it and it could have. Yes. Sure. I just think it would have been an interesting, like, to help me figure out which universe we're in and just to kind of give that, that a stronger feeling of otherness to these spaces. A clear And so that when somebody comes into another, like, when Catherine comes into the ordinary world to just show her being... You know, again, it should be about like the perception of things in different universes, yeah. like yeah. that. It can all tie, it all ties back in, or it should. Um, <laughs> of you know, showing that she doesn't belong here because she looks different in this light than she does over there, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. 
anyway, that's just kind of one thing that I would have liked to have seen. I do think that they do little things with costume design. For example, the way that Melinda and Catherine definitely both dress is definitely more conservative, despite the fact that their tops are both too small for them. But, you know, it's, it's, more, of a, it's more of a conservative dress than on the other side where everyone's more individual. Yeah. The, the point I was that I kind of alluded to in my commentary, uh, my reactions, about there being kind of maybe they're saying something about the potential evils of our society mm. and how if, they, if any of these evils go a certain way or are more extreme on these earths than, than they are in ours the damage that that can do. Mm. And so what I think is interesting is that they played once with that with the police state, basically. Yeah. And you go, if if we if we move any further toward an author- authoritarian or a fascist style of government, this is how damaging it can be. This is how everyone would be different. This is how everyone would react. Mm. Um, and so that's one world that they're looking at. And then from the other point of view... They talk about how everything that's being thrown away is basically brand new in this other world, in the yeah. rubbish tip world. Yeah. So you see that the the rampant consumerism, and we are not far away from that now. You know, we never try and repair things. No. How often do we get a phone that stops working and we go like, well, better repair that? Very rarely. We always buy a new one. Or hold on to the broken one until your upgrade comes around. I mean... <laughs> Jane is showing me the shadows on her screen. Look at the we've got little bits of glass that are coming out of it oh now. Oh dear! Um, you probably put a little sleeve on that. No, I just need to buy a new one. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> but I will try and ethically recycle mine yep, as good. much as I can. Yes. But the point being that, like, this other world that they that we're looking at has taken consumerism to such a degree that as soon as something becomes obsolete or slightly damaged or whatever it may be, it just gets thrown out. And that's why this world, at least as far as as much as we've seen of it, is just full of, you know, unsustainable garbage that mm. can't even be recycled, just gets picked up and thrown away. So I do kind of feel like in some respects they are taking these kind of ideas of cautionary tales and, and building that into these different worlds and not just saying, like, this one's different because blah, and this one's different because blah, like actually trying to spark a bit of thought around that. Yeah, actually, um, uh, when you see from uh, Thief Francis, who's from the more loose hippie universe, mm. um, they're just super excited about any kind of technology or kind of stuff because this is a universe where technology hasn't advanced as far because it's kind of like the hippie movement never... The hippie movement became the movement, uh, essentially. Yeah. Uh, like, it doesn't go into entire historical dates and accuracies mm. in terms of how these things were different or changed. But the fact that uh, if we became more... What's the word? Um, comfortable uh, and didn't push ourselves to advance technology, advance, um, you know, just creation and inventivity, swap those two around maybe, Um, that, you know, while people could be calm and happy, there would be, you know, different shortages in terms of access, resources and other elements of that. So I think this show, while it doesn't get into more interesting details and consequences of it, Mm. um, it is kind of laying that groundwork for kids to kind of think about um, how society works a little bit. Yeah, which I think is why I I would... I mean, I'm not going to go look at it, but I am sort of <laughs> vaguely interested in think, in seeing more of that world that we just saw, the rubbish tip world. Yeah. Um, and looking at 
at what that world looks like from a people point of view because so far all we've seen is just a great big rubbish tip. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I know that we do see that later on and I vaguely recall again some of the characters and sort of what that world looks like but not specifically and not and not in terms of a like a catastrophic you know what is this world gonna, what's going to happen to this world that mm. hasn't developed any sustainable practices that's just like you know consumerist use it once throw it away single use type stuff what what does that mean for that world at large yeah um, not good things Probably not, but I don't think we see that, and that's where I think that you maybe they start the conversation, but they don't necessarily explore that. I think they explore it at least once in this season, in their own in the series. Uh, I'm so keen to um, like actually finish watching it. Mm-hmm. I got on a bit of a bender when I got to it. I was like, oh shit, I've got to watch the show she told me to watch. But um, my memory of it is actually that this may not be the Amazonian princess world. It may be. Um, uh, but this is the world. I don't remember the Amazonian princess world. Huh? I remember there being some kind of. Oh Amazonian yeah, no, no, there is. World. But I think the rubbish tip world might be the more advanced, creepy world that the villain mum is from, and the phones mm. are a key point in terms of these phones and her technology, or something in terms of control and access for the masses and the public, and trying to cross over to other universes for, you know, eventual domination. But um, I'm actually just so keen for myself to actually go back and watch a few more of these episodes. Because um, you could watch all of uh, Parallax on YouTube. Yeah, you can. Um, and the same user... <laughs> I loved this! <laughs> I know. The same user that has uploaded all of Parallax has uploaded this the show that we're going to talk about next week. Yeah, just like first seasons of like... Or maybe only seasons. All, all seasons of the shows. Uh, of um, uh, Australian children's shows. Yeah, like mi- mid-2000s Australian <laughs> yeah, TV shows. very specifically. Very specifically. It was pretty hilarious because when I saw the username when I found my episode, yeah. I was like, oh, I wonder if this is where Kurt found Parallax <laughs> as well. And then it was. I was like, brilliant. Because it's not easy to find some Australian television uh, no. these days, uh, especially if it was a one and done show. I mean, we could probably look at them on DVD somewhere. Yeah, I could find it actually, uh, some other stuff. But yeah. Anyway, if you want, you can watch Parallax on YouTube. <laughs> if you want. That is the ultimate qualifier there. I, I'm i I'm at a pretty solid one doll's eye on this. Yeah, just um, a thing in the background. Which is exactly how I was when I was 14 with it. You know? <laughs> Not much difference. If it was on, I was happy to kind of watch it, but I didn't want to see it every week. I didn't really care what was happening in the long run. None of the characters really jumped out at me, and I think that's why. Mm. I think as I, I enjoy Melinda probably the most. I was an, I was always annoyed at Catherine because she just seemed to be so much of a blah character, and I wanted so much more from her. Um, Catherine, who the actor went on to uh, work in McLeod's Daughters, yes, which I didn't recognise because, as we talked about previously, I don't know anything about McLeod's Daughters apart from ads on television. But she uh, played Taylor. I don't know. I don't remember the part, but I remember her being on it. <laughs> Taylor. Taylor she wouldn't have been much have been, older. She might have been someone's, like, long-lost Oh, here we go. She was a guest role in season six, but then became a main in season seven to eight. With the same character? Yeah. Yeah, I reckon she was someone's long-lost daughter or something. There was a lot of just random siblings coming out of the woodwork. No, or was that there. Rose? <laughs> I just... I I never watched McLeod's Daughters, but I didn't realise it was that bold and the beautiful. Like, I mean, that's the whole concept of the show. It's meant to be, like, bold and the beautiful in the No, bush. no, no. The whole concept of the show was... Um, 
is that Jack McLeod had two daughters with two different women. Oh. I- and so she had a sister and so she came back to visit her mum. And so therefore the whole like lost family members was just like a theme of the show. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was a setup. I didn't realise it was a theme. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realise it was a structural writing mechanic. It, be- it sort of <laughs> became a bit of a theme just because like... You know, once you start that. Yeah, how else can you find a more dynamic way to put two characters who would never normally interact together in the same situation? Well, I think, it, you know, it was always meant to be kind of about, like, family. finding finding your family and what that means for you. Mm. Um, and sometimes that meant biological family. Sometimes that meant, like... Is there found family in There's the, totally found the family. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's, there's the... the woman who's been running the household for years and um, she's got her daughter and they're, like... Although she may have also had an affair with Jack McLeod, and it's possible her daughter was also their sister. I can't remember. <laughs> that I, I think it's better that you don't. <laughs> I just can't quite remember. But yeah, they, they were always like taking in women from other places and, right. and kind of... That sounds really bad. Do you want to try that sentence again? <laughs> no, there was like, like there was one woman who like worked in the bar and then she was like sexually assaulted by her boss. Oh, and then they like let her come and live with them and she like worked on the ranch and they like, you know, helped her through this tough time and That's stuff like nice. that. It was really lovely. Yeah. So like it was, it was all about that, you know? Found family, as well as found biological family (laughs) that you catch up with later down the line. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just um, uh, something that is very um, important. Not necessarily important, but I guess maybe because it's a bit of a reflection of its own audience and targeted demographic. But when you have, um, you know, queer and gay shows, they have a heavy... Um, focus mm. on found family because yeah. often uh, there are situations where families don't still support certain de- um, lifestyles and um, you know they, they, they drive that point home almost sometimes too much mm. because I'm like okay I feel like straight people get this by now but also that can be a straight people thing as well yeah I mean found family is one of my favorite tropes of any tv show whether mm. it's you know specifically gay subtext or not or text um it's just nice to hear that it is also a thing because uh, there's often so much of a focus on dysfunctional families and trying mm. to figure out how they get back together and and build each other up which is always nice to see no sometimes it's not sometimes it's boring and original not original mm. but um you know it's it i didn't realize that found families could be a bit more of a thing yeah um, i think it's i think it's actually very important because it shows and kind of allows people to understand that your biological family is not everything. And mm. if your biological family rejects you, uh, it's like no one's saying it isn't hard, but there is still a place for you in the world. And don't don't feel like nobody loves you. Yeah. It's not the, it's not a, not a true story. So I think fan family is awesome and I love it when all TV shows can do it, but I, and I and I especially understand why it's a very important you know theme in in yeah. in gay text. But no, yeah, okay, yeah. One does I. I like that. I like that. I think I've uh, explained why I picked these two episodes, but to try and put in a sentence or two how why I love this show, um you've made me think a lot more like you've made me give the show a bit more credit than I originally <laughs> thought, which is nice because normally I'm giving the show a lot more credit than yeah. uh it it deserves. I think they I think they had they, some they did th- genuinely they had some thoughts. And Paul Barron's really... a pretty established um, creator of television and, yeah. and, and film, especially you know in in the Australian uh, screen world. But um, yeah, it's I'm actually genuinely excited to just finish off the show because I know there's only like a, like ten more episodes for me. Mm. Um, but 
the reason why I loved it um, is definitely because it kind of got that little sense of excitement and adventure stirring up in me um, when I was probably older and had forgotten about it um, because I was about 12 years old when this was actually out on television, mm -hmm. verging on that age when you're meant to stop watching kids shows and start yeah. watching other stuff. And it kind of kept me feeling like a kid again. And those moments with Melinda and breaking out of this stricter world or me not having to focus on doing all this extra maths homework because I was good at maths and going into high school, it kind of reminded me of the joy of being a kid again, especially with those differences between the different universes. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why I really love the show. Great. Mm. Fair enough. All right. Well, what's been in your eye this week, Jane? The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Season 3. Of course. <laughs> Take it before I can. Yeah. That's all right, I've got something else. Yeah, great. Yeah, that came out for us when we are recording, came out just this last weekend. Mm. And I watched all of it in like two days. In fact, that's why the information I gave you was a little bit late, because I got distracted. Because it was actually, I didn't love it in the first two episodes i was i was enjoying it but i didn't love it that much i think it actually got stronger yes toward the end i haven't seen the last two episodes but i was pleasantly surprised it you're you're you were right in how you're describing it to me in terms of the fact that it found interesting ways to change yeah. the trajectory of the show mm. because they they after season two there's a big difference that's happened to the whole Church of Night and everything that's happened with the entire family and witches in, in Greendale. So I wasn't sure where they were going to take it. Yeah, I, I like I them bringing in the pagans as mm. kind of this other faction, um, somebody, and, and looking at a, a group of people who believe in something even older and, and darker and more mysterious than just the devil. What I really liked about it, though, was uh, verging outside of standard Hail Satan witch practices mm. and kind of verging into that more... What are modern witches called? Uh, Wicca? Wicca. Wicca stuff. Yeah. Uh, in terms of, you know, the lovely little rabbit ceremony and bathing under a moon and all this sort of yeah. stuff. I found it quite interesting when you, you kind of verged away from certain myths and legends uh, for certain like monstrous characters week to week, but more to kind of witchy practices or different kind of cultures. Which I think that the only part where that gets a little bit muddy is that all of these kind of, uh, all of the Wiccan practices, or a lot of the Wiccan practices, as far as I understand it, are based in paganism. That's where I got confused because I'm like, but now you're starting to verge on the same sort of stuff. But I, I mean, I... Oh, I'd like to have more of this conversation with you once you've seen the whole thing. Yeah, when I finished it. Um, because I think that that is, it takes it into both a muddy but also a very interesting space mm. of going, you know, and, and also makes you think about, well, made me think a little bit about the historical context of witchcraft and witchcraft and paganism and how, you know, when you think about, you know, Christianity conquering Europe, oh, how, yeah, yeah, like, the, the... it wasn't about witchcraft being related to the devil, it was more about heresy, yeah. as in somebody who went against the church, and so... The organised Christianity. Yeah, and so it's kind of like, you know, a lot of people who are accused of witchcraft, you know, and, you know, shilling for the devil, were actually just using ancient, you know... Uh, medicinal practices. Medicinal practices, and, and maybe praying to what they considered to be their god, because that's what they understood to be the healing practices related to the actual what was probably scientific. Anyway. Kept them safe in this land. And, you know, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So I think it all kind of ties in together. It's not 
again, it's not a show that's really interested in openly discussing that. No. Um, but I think if you want to kind of read it a little bit more deeply and think about those influences, um, it can kind of be a little bit more interesting. I will say that something that really annoyed me is that Sabrina just decided to be uh, to triumph for the squad and then happens to be seemingly be the central post and team captain. I mean, she's obviously the best. <laughs> I mean, she's the central character. She just got on the cheer squad. She shouldn't have just gone straight to that position. I mean, uh, look, I, I was also like, that's a bit convenient, but, you know, whatever. But to double back on that, I will appreciate that in practice they did a song, and then at the game, they did the same song because they were practicing that song. Correct. Where Although sometimes they would do it. their lead wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. Because she was off fighting <laughs> a man in an ice cream bag. <laughs> um, and also, like, she doesn't spend as much time back with the cheerleaders as she ought to. Yeah. Like, she just continually misses out on all the cheerleading things because she's off, you know, being the queen of hell or whatever. Um, but no, yeah, yeah, no. It's it's nice to come back to that show. It's a, yeah, it's, it's it's well produced. I actually think I may have liked it better than the second season in the end. I, I might agree with you. I'm not sure. I've I'm not sure either. I I need to kind of sit on it for a little bit longer. Yeah. But yeah. okay, so what's uh, been in my eye this week, other than Chilling Adventures of Sabrina the Teenage Witch season three, is the morning show. What? Uh, so Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell, Reese Witherspoon. Um, have all been part of an Apple TV Plus series Mm -hmm. um, that came out late last year and has gotten all of these nominations. I'm not sure of the actual awards that have been received apart from the fact that Jennifer Aniston got a BAFTA for it. Um, A BAFTA? Yeah. Wait, that's... Is it British? Wait, mm, it's definitely... A Golden Globe, maybe? Hang on. Screen Actors Guild. Oh, right. I thought she called it a BAFTA or something. Well... SGA? Yeah, I don't know. A Guild Award? I don't know. But uh, she, uh, Jennifer Anderson won Outstanding Performance for a Female Actor in this uh, show, which is very much a a result of the Me Too movement uh, and all of the sexual assault charges that have been coming out in result to news TV shows and things like that, where Steve Carell plays someone who has been charged and fired uh, after sexual assault charges or sexual misconduct in a newsroom office, and Jennifer Anderson has to deal with the fallout of that and uh Reese Witherspoon is kind of this firecracker southern reporter who's hard I mean, to keep on a leash which is almost all of her, her characters say, that is just Reese Witherspoon <laughs> but it is very well done in this show in particular and seeing I well it's really interesting seeing Steve Carell's side of it too um don't get me wrong the focus is all on them mm-hmm. uh but he has you know one or two scenes per episode it's not focused on him but it's also in terms of like how these people because i haven't finished the show yet i've seen eight out or eight or nine or seven out of the eight or nine episodes or ten uh and it's really enthralling to me because it's showing how much that like broadcast news is tiptoeing on all of these subjects and content and issues and trying to just maintain face and how much that stuff is bought and deals are made and journalists and like i know all this sort of stuff happens behind the scenes but it made it so much more relatable mm. and how much that a woman would have sacrificed in her life to get to the top of the game to be like a morning show co-host for the highest rated morning show in American TV. You know, you would have some ramifications for your immediate family and then to be in risk of losing all that, she's it's really well performed on her side um, because it's there's a lot of conflicting emotions about everything that's happened because 
it's not an easy thing to talk about. But yeah. what I love is that this show pushes back. Yeah. And I will say maybe one... No, I won't say the spoiler because it's so great. Um, but when, you know, something is said accidentally on television, you're just, your jaw drops and you're like, you can't have just said that on your first day as being a morning show host. And it's interesting to see the way in which this fictional America reacts, which is very much um, inspired by the very public and uh, protest heavy activist uh, time that America is living in now, mm. where they're constantly standing up for things that they're disagreeing with. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see how that kind of affects seeing it from the other side of things, as opposed to seeing it just on the news. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. The morning show. Not one of the many morning shows of any country, I'm sure. Um, but it's literally called The Morning Show. And has a really tight, cool opening. Uh, which is just, like... It probably won't mean that much to many people. But physics-wise, in terms of how these balls are moving, it's just beautiful. Sure. <laughs> moving balls. I find, it, I find it interesting that that's out. I didn't actually... I hadn't heard of that one. But it sounds like it's... It's not the only piece of media out at the moment kind of tackling that. You've also got Bombshell that's just come out of the cinemas. Yeah, I saw that, actually. You've uh, seen the film? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, right. How was that? Uh, pretty great. Okay. <laughs> uh, pretty fantastic. Uh, very similar um, thing, but, you know, over the span of 90 minutes, whereas this is, you know, doing it with characters over yeah, yeah. 10 or 9 um, hours. So um, I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, seeing uh, Nicole Kidman in a role that, Worked for her ballpark, but... <laughs> Are you saying Nicole Kidman's not a good actress? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've seen her make some choices that I don't always agree with. But then sometimes she does some amazing stuff. Um, but I think it, she's, she doesn't need to be the star. And she's not the star of this, which right. is one thing that I really like about it. She's an integral member of this. And what's interesting is that her character is someone who... Uh, was kind of forced to sign an NDA and be silent and not yeah. speak about it. Yeah. And then this movie gets to come out. And yeah. this is almost the biggest FU to everything that happened yeah. uh, surrounding that. But yeah, so there is a lot of things surrounding it. But there's some really funny lines and dialogue actually engaged in this sort of thing. Uh, just even about optics and how people look. Divorces and separations and... Uh, you know, sending your kids off to private school, all these little things and how that affects uh, a person's life and how lawyers need to be included because your public image affects the rest of the country and the news network ratings. And, oh, I found it fascinating. I never this, got on... This is why I never want to be famous. This I never got on to The Good Show or Good News or whatever it was called with... What's his name? Everyone was really on board with that when that was happening in around 2012. Don't you remember? Uh, are you talking about The Newsroom? Yes. I never got on board with that when that was happening. So maybe this is my, like, I, little bit of excitement. I kind of watched... The, I think I actually watched most of it in the end. Um, it was all over my Tumblr at the time. <laughs> but my Tumblr made it look a lot better than the actual show was. Right. I mean, seeing clips of it, it looked like it was a very good show. We could talk about more. We could talk more about it later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that... Uh, I don't think it was as good as a lot of people said it was. Um, but that's what's been in my eye this week. Great. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Okay, well, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, please come on over to Instagram and like us at Major Look Pod. Yes. Uh, you can rate, review, or subscribe for us. Uh, the best place to do that is in the Apple Podcasts app. But uh, if you are listening on another platform and there's a review function on there, that would also be helpful. There's comment sections there as well. Where? Uh, on my app, and there's a comment section on podcasts. 
There you go. Not what, just re- reviews. Whatever, whatever you'd like to say. We're happy to hear it as long as it, you also give us four stars. Uh, five stars <laughs> or even. Um, also, uh, if you're, uh, for any reason, uh, don't want to reach out as publicly, uh, there's also jackarandamedia at outlook.com if you want to send us an email. Yeah, we'd love to you know, talk to you guys one-on-one if that's what you're into. Please, TV suggestions. We've got some stuff yes. coming up next season. Not sure exactly what we're doing. Yes, we want suggestions. And there's a lot of new TV that's come out recently, so please let us know if there's anything you'd like to let us know okay. about. Okay, Here, here's what we're going to do. Okay. On the 21st of February, which okay. is coming up just mm-hmm. after this release, I am going to post on Instagram with a call out for suggestions. If you have a TV show that you would like us to talk about that we haven't spoken about before on in the last, you know, 20, 30 episodes of the pod, the ones that are easily accessible, then then that's where I want you to post. Comment on that post with your suggestions. We'd prefer it if there's an episode that you'd like us to watch as well, but if you just want to say a show and maybe we'll be able to find a good episode to watch. Especially if one of us knows it already. Exactly, exactly. Comment on that post and we will pick 10 to do next season. That would be very cool. That would be really cool. So, 21st of February, that's when that post is going to go up. We know we have followers on Instagram. Yeah, I get all these likes all the time. So, all those people that are liking, it's time to, you know, give us your ideas. You can make us watch something truly terrible if you like. (laughs) I would love that, actually. You can make us... um, But you have to be prepared for me to tear it apart. Yes, yes. That's the only caveat. Whatever we do. Kurt might try and find the silver lining, but odds are Jane will pull it apart if it is terrible. It's it's a... They're pretty high odds. So, look out for that. In the meantime, please have a good week. Yes, enjoy yourselves. Stay safe. And we'll speak to you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Jane just caught her phone and it was amazing. I caught my my phone between my thighs. Lightning fast thighs, McGee. That's what they call me. I love the point of trying to not make a noise and by not making the noise, makes it worse. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.